You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, winner of the Share Care Emmy Award for Social Storytelling and the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today we're going to talk about how deep should I squat? What is the depth that I'm supposed to go to in a squat? Are there supposed to's here? And I think there are inherent supposed to's. We know that um, you're supposed to get down to chair depth, or your thigh is supposed to be parallel to the ground, or your backside is supposed to touch the ground in a squat. These are a lot of supposed to's. And yet, if there are different supposed to's, then what are we really supposed to do? Well, let me run something by you real quick. Uh, it's because all y'all judgy trainers out there, uh, and also a little bit I'm going to say about my own ego, is that when, when I was a young man, I was uh, tumbling. I uh, was doing some Chinese acrobatic runs, and uh, in one of these tumbling runs, I I tore the meniscus in my knee, and I tore my medial collateral ligament, and uh, there was a lot of pain associated with it. Got surgery uh, two years later. Had to have a surgery again to to fix it. And uh, ever since then, the knee has been a bit problematic. And within ten years. So by the time I was 19, when I had my second surgery, by the time I was 29, uh, I had some some significant, though not always painful, arthritis. But I'd say like when I squatted, especially if I went into depth, it would be very painful, not even necessarily when I squatted, but it would hurt later or my knee would swell up later. And so rather than doing squats that weren't deep enough, I would often just avoid squats. One, because it hurt my knee, but also if I limited range of motion, I didn't want people looking at me being like, oh, you're not, you're not hitting that squat right, Rick. So I'm going to give you a general rule for squatting, and then we're going to talk about Newell's theory of constraints and what squat depth actually means for us. So a general kind of NASM rule of thumb, how deep should I squat? Here's the answer. Ready? Full, available, pain-free range of motion without compensation. How deep should I squat? Full, available, pain-free range of motion without compensation. But I also say that it depends on several factors. Now, if you look at Newell's theory of constraints, there are several constraints that he brings up. Three in particular. One, there is the task that you're trying to do. What are you trying to do? Well, in this instance, the task is the squat, but the task is outside of the body. It is the rules of the game. The task could include, is it a barbell that's associated with the task of your squat? Is it a hex bar? Is it a front squat? Is it a back squat? What is your, what's your squat look like? That's part of the task. The other is the environment. So the second constraint in Newell's theory of constraints is the environment. That's anything else outside the body. It could be temperature. It could be humidity. Are you inside? Are you outside? What does the environment feel like that, um, in order to perform these tasks? And we know that that's particularly important in sport, but 
in weightlifting, we don't really have that much of an issue because we're usually in a controlled environment, usually inside. It's not raining on the field. It's uh, You don't have a lot of different people cheering or jeering. So the environment is there and usually pretty consistent. And then there are individual constraints, and those can be both physical and mental. And I think that when I was dealing with my issues of not squatting, some of them were physical, but others were mental, which is I felt like I was being judged. So in order for me to not be judged, then I can't be seen doing something, quote, wrong. I'm not going deep enough into my squat. So let's talk about some of these factors, some of these factors uh, that that will kind of address how deep should I squat. Factor number one, what is your goal? What is your task? Because some people are going to have different tasks for different things. They have a goal. If you have a goal of squatting deep for no other purpose than for squatting deep, then that's probably a good goal of yours is just to see how low you can go in your squat. If squat depth is your goal, then that's a reasonable request. That's a reasonable goal to try to go into. I'll say certain sports like uh, power lifters, there is a requirement in that sport that their thighs are parallel or um, probably more specifically, the crease in their hip is lower than their knee. Then, and so that that's a requirement for their sport and their depth. So what? why are you squatting? I'm squatting because I'm a power lifter. Then there is a certain depth that you must get to because that is a requirement of the sport. If your goal is to squat deeper, then you must work on squatting deeper because that is the goal that you've laid out for yourself. But is it required for anything else? I don't know. Shallow squats can be very helpful. Uh, in increasing a vertical jump. Deep squats can be helpful. They can help in, uh, with uh, sprint speed, even though we find that both can be very beneficial in both of those things. However, plyometrics also show just to be as beneficial in outcomes regarding jump height and increased force generation outputs than the lifting groups, just as much from the lifting groups. And that's from Tio et al. 2016. So like you don't even have to just do your lifts. You can do your uh, box jumps or drops and things like that from there. So those could be beneficial as well. So that's a factor one. What is your goal? What's the task that you're trying to look at? Factor number two is the environment. And that's not going to really affect us as much. The environment says, are you going to be inside? Are you going to be outside? Is it raining? Is it cold? Is it hot? Is it humid? Uh, does that affect the, the grip on the bar? Does the amount of sweat affect what's going on? That's going to be the environment that you're dealing with. And that environment could also be, is the gym really busy? Is somebody hovering over you, waiting to, to get into the squat rack? So there are parts of the environment that are going to play with what's going on in your head um, that can affect what's going on with your squat, but it may not affect so much in this instance, the depth of the squat. But here's the other series of kind of factors that are going to, to play a component here, which are what are called the individual constraints, the constraints of the organism, you. And some of those constraints are going to simply be your anatomy. 
your anatomy is going to give you a better idea of how deep you squat and whether your squat looks more like a squat or more like a deadlift. Because when we like to, we say you squat, you're going to have a good tibia torso angle. So if your torso goes forward 45 degrees, your your uh, tibia will shift forward 45 degrees, right? Like So it's just like a, a nice angle. But man, that is a, a pretty standard that not many people can bear. That can be very difficult for a lot of people to have that very nice, lovely tibia torso angle. And why does that happen? Well, there are lever lengths that that change how you are able to squat and the mechanics of your squat. So for instance, if you have shorter legs and a really long torso, then you're probably going to have a much better chance of keeping a more upright posture in your squat. If you have a longer legs or a longer femur, then you're going to have a very difficult time keeping the chest upright. So almost every one of your squats is just going to look like a deadlift. And in fact, uh, it may be uncomfortable to even squat if you're uh, if you have the leg length and the torso length. And there's a discrepancy with these longer femurs. Um, what's your what's your tibia length? And that's going to affect how the depth of your squat. There's also um, your hip socket. And there was a there was a big article that came out. I mean, it's probably been a decade or more now since that article had come out about femoral antiversion and retroversion and the the angle that goes on at the hips. And to be honest, like they're not that common, but they're common enough that I think the article is really good. And it definitely um, ruffled some feathers and it shook things up. But your hip socket is something to pay attention to just as much as, uh, which is not as visible as something like dorsiflexion, which NASM will talk about a lot. Do you have the dorsiflexion to be able to go down into the squat? So you could have all of those other things that can work out in your favor that would make your squat look pretty good and allow you to get deeper into your squat. But if you don't have the dorsiflexion to do so, you're still not going to get that depth. So here's the thing. A lot of times, even if you're looking at your, your hip and you're looking at your, um, your ankle and your ability to go into that range of motion, a lot of times you still have limited mobility. So even if you have great hips for squatting, you might have limited mobility. Even if you're using your hips as an excuse because they are not allowing you to get to the depth that you want to get. It could also be that you have a retroversion or an antiversion and you also have limited mobility that beyond the amount that that, that hip makeup is, is keeping you from squatting. So if you have a deeper socket in the acetabulum, if you have a more shallow socket, the chances are that we still don't have the mobility needs and that increasing mobility will still benefit every squatter in order to get a more um, upright and a more and more depth into that squat. Now there are a lot of people and, um, and, and that just look at 90 degree ranges of motion, which isn't science-based, but you could still get good work in. In fact, I had a, I had somebody on our show and he is like the ultimate 90 degree, don't go beyond 90 degree guy. And we didn't really talk about that on the show, primarily because I didn't realize it was the same guy. <laughs> but um, 
how do we address some of these things? And we address them by saying it's just not science-based. Can you do 90 degrees? Absolutely. Can you squat to 90 degrees? Sure. Is it unless uh, you could go further and you have the range of motion to do so and it's pain-free and you're not compensating? So remember the NASM maxim when it comes to this is full available pain-free range of motion without compensation. So can you go below 90? I don't know. Can you? Does it hurt? All right, then go through the range of motion you can control, the pain-free range of motion without compensation. But then you can also look at some other things like uh, you can do a shallower squat with heavier weight kind of as a neurological prep for your body to get your body used to lifting heavier weights without going into a full deep range of motion squat. You can say, hey, listen, I'm going to up my load 20% more than what I feel comfortable even doing a deep squat and do a little more shallow squat and start building some strength in the uh, the lesser range of motion in that quarter squat, half squat, before you even get down into a full squat, you can add more weight on it and limit your range of motion. And you can get stronger within that range of motion and that can carry over into certain sports and certain activities. And it can even carry over into your squats as you start to build strength in limited ranges of motion before you start adding in deeper ranges of motion. So do you always have to go backside to the ground? No, no. In fact, uh, there are a lot of people who go pretty deep into their squats and there's such a significant posterior pelvic tilt or a butt wink that the first 10 degrees of lifting up out of that squat is actually spinal extension. So there, there are some people that can handle that and the weight sometimes that people are doing just not great enough to most likely put too much issue on people's spines. But as you start lifting heavier weights, you have got to pay attention to that. I think you need to pay attention to that from the beginning. But that's like, um, you know, lighter weights where you're getting the heart rate up and maybe working on some endurance and speed. You're probably not doing the weights that are going to cause too much casualty. However, my opinion is, is if you can do it in better form, it is our responsibility to guide that. So limiting that posterior tilt or that butt wink in order to help people get range of motion. And what are some ways that we can help people get out of the butt wink? So if they're looking to get deeper ranges of motion, I had a, had a podcast on this not too long ago, or maybe a long time ago, actually, it all runs together. But some of that is about ankle mobility. Some of it is about hip mobility. And certainly some of it is about core stability. But how deep should we go in our squat? Final answer, full available pain-free range of motion without compensation. And then you can play within the different levels of what it is that you can do without compensation by adding more weight and you don't have to go to that full range of motion, you can add more weight and just play with the different levels, play with different intensities that you can control. And then always know that that full available pain-free range of motion, the deepest you can go in your squat, controlling it without compensation and without hurting yourself is something that you can do and that you should and can aim for.
All right. I hope you found this helpful. Ladies and gentlemen, if you got questions for me, reach out to me. You can hit me up on Instagram, DM me at dr.rickritchie or email me at rick.ritchie at nasm.org. Keep inspiring people to fitness. Be out there doing what you're doing as fitness professionals and personal trainers. I'm proud of you. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.